0: you're listening to the History Today podcast. In this episode, the Russian Mrs. Beaton. In the December issue of History Today, we have a piece about Yelena Molokovits, a Russian housewife whose household manual had a significant impact on culinary and domestic habits in the decades leading up to the Bolshevik Revolution. The author of the article is Helen Samuli, and she talks here to History Today Deputy Editor Charlotte Crowe.
1: Um, so I'm very happy to be talking today to Helen Zamuley, who's written an article in our December issue about uh, a little-known, in England anyway, Russian housewife called Yelena Molokovits, who in 1861 um, published a book of household management, and in we've described her in this article as <coughs> the Russian Mrs. Beaton. So I wonder... Helen, if you can tell us a little bit about how you became interested in, in Yelena Malachowicz.
2: Um, well, Yelena Malachowicz's book, which um, was exact, published exactly the same year as Mrs. Beaton's in England, was something that was just not available at all when I was a child being uh, brought up, not in the Soviet Union, but by parents who had themselves grown up there. And But people always knew about it, and so therefore, as a child even, I heard about the Malal book, and as subsequently found out much of what was said about her just as about Mrs Beaton was actually not true. So subsequently, because I became quite interested in uh, the history of cookery books in general, and also about um, various social developments in Russia, the two sort of combined in my mind, and when I happily found a copy of a later edition in London Library, which, happened, as it happens, had belonged to Arthur Ransom, which in itself made it quite exciting. I thought, well, here we are. Let's do a little bit of research about um, the lady and um, did a couple of talks. People were very interested and decided to proceed to do some work on it. Pursue it? Yes. Is, is
1: our article the, the, the first article you've written? It's the first article, yes. Excellent. Yes. Um, so, could you just describe to us a little bit about the situation in in Russia in eighteen sixty one, at the moment at which the, the book appeared? Um, we know that that was the year of the uh, emancipation of the serfs under Alexander the Second, and something like twenty three million serfs uh, were gradually freed. Mm. So. A lot of things must have been shifting in... in, in... There were, and of course
2: it was just the first of several reforms uh, under Alexander II, some of which worked, some which didn't, some of which were then set back, um, were abolished more or less by his son after Alexander's assassination. There was a general feeling in the 60s that Russia was finally shifting towards... A more European, although Russia had considered herself the, herself to be European, well, ever since Catherine the Great, this was finally the, the, the great blot on Russian history was serfdom, which was, in fact, not like European serfdom, but more like slavery. It can be compared to American slavery rather than um, European serfdom, or feudalism. It wasn't a feudal system. So there were all these people who were now not owned by anybody, most of them were still tied to the land because uh, the the communes were left in place, but quite a few started uh, moving out and becoming themselves people who owned land, um, developed. Uh, you know there was this, this this large development of what could have eventually become a middle class, and in that in those circumstances, of course, you needed some kind of a guide as to how to run a household. Now the other side of it of course is that if the serfs became free then the owners of the serfs no no longer had quite as many people at their beck and call. So the big households were broken up, people moved, uh, people had to have servants, had to have proper cooks and so on. Again you needed a certain amount of guidance
1: so, can you tell us how uh, Yelena Molokovitz fitted into this picture? Who was she?
2: She was. Um, she was from the middle class. She was married to um, an engineer, and uh, had herself been educated in uh, one of the uh, schools that were for um, set up under Catherine for uh, daughters of um, nobility. And nobility extends rather a long way in Russia, and. Um, and had, um, had produced ten children, I believe, and, um, and she ran her own household, and whether she cooked uh, her own food all the time or whether she supervised very um, closely her own cook, she was slightly unusual in that respect, because there was this endless complaint that Russian ladies didn't do enough in the house. And. Um, so she produced these wonderful recipes and then she started putting them together, apparently encouraged by her husband and uh, and eventually when she was 30 this book was published and it had been passed actually before her 30th birthday by the censor because in Russia every book that was printed had to be passed by the censor and uh, so it was actually based unlike Mrs. Beaton's oddly enough, it was actually based entirely on her experience and as her experience changed and as she moved to St Petersburg the books the subsequent editions of the books uh, of the book um acquired new chapters on how to furnish apartments and how to store food in apartments and so on.
1: Is her experience reflected in the book in terms of the way she writes? Does she write uh, from the first person with reference to what's going on in her life? Do we glean about her life? Not a lot, not in
2: the first place. In the first place, in fact, it was anonymous. She didn't even put in um, any initials. She then found, as time went on, and the book became very popular, that people copied it illegally or produced, um, well, travesties of it, and it was sold off. So she actually, by the time she got, before the 50th anniversary in 1911, which was a big event in the history of the book, um, she found that she had to complain to um, periodicals that um, uh, her book had been travestied and her recipes produced in a peculiar sort of fashion. And she then... Eventually, uh, according to her, very, very reluctantly, had to name herself and explain who she was, and actually wrote an introduction to I think the 1909 edition. It came out practically every year. Um, that um, who uh, a background explained a bit about her family, why her hus- why she has this slightly odd surname, and she says her husband's family was the only one that was called Malahovitz, and. Um, um, so uh, so we find out a little bit about the way she thinks just from that introduction but the recipes just have to and the and, and instructions as to how much to buy, how much to store, where to store things and so on, one just has to glean her existence mm-hmm. uh, and the existence of many Russian women um, from from those
1: recipes and from those instructions. From reading between the lines. Yeah. Um, now food custom religion uh, national identity were big themes for debate in uh, the second half of the nineteenth century how, how does Mallokovit's work fit into that debate? Was she aware of it, and who were the protagonists of those sorts of debates?
2: she herself described she described herself as being a very conservative um monarchist, orthodox, um, which was one reason why she didn't like coming out in public because she felt it was unsuitable for a woman of her uh, views. And um, uh, in a funny sort of way though, her book was actually quite enlightened because the debates about it had actually gone back to the second half of the 18th century this, in a way has been going on for had already been going on for about a century this whole idea of is russia european it, where should russia move forward um stop me if you've heard this before because these debates have gone on ever since and should it move forward by imitating or copying or aping Western ideas, or should it um, find some resources in, its own, in her own history? Or whether, as some of the more extreme, shall we say, Slavophiles said, well, change nothing, just stick to the old uh, Slavic habits, especially with food and production of food, and so on. Well, clearly this couldn't go on, because Russia, although potentially an extraordinarily rich country, was also very very poor and very and seriously backward and ever since Catherine the Great when Russian nobility were allowed to travel freely to the West and people had been sent to study in the West and so on um, and then of course the army that conquered Napoleon that swept across Europe they found that European Europe was just so advanced compared to Russia, that there was this, this, this great urge to do something bad. Now, as part of that, was the feeling that the nobility should pay some attention. So men should pay, pay more attention to their land, and women should pay more attention to the household and this is and uh, there were several books on that and in fact there was at least one other woman writer before Malahavet who did write instructions to Russian women how to run their households and then eventually started writing about how to run estates as well so that was all part of this huge discussion and Malahavet fitted in in that she made it quite clear without actually making a big issue of it is that she thought Um, ladies of the house should be very involved in the housekeeping and and should actually make sure, shouldn't just sit back and let the servants get on with it, but actually run and of course one of her one of the purposes of the book is to explain how to run a household well, how to produce tasty food and good food um, at a reasonable price. She, like Mrs. Beaton, gives um, ideas of how to have cheap food as well, but good food.
1: So, uh, Yelena Molokovic was responding to a, a growing, middle-class, um, urban, broadly urban group of women, women and men, but but the book is called A Gift to Young Housewives. So, how popular was it? How was it, it received? And it ha- was
2: immensely popular. It, it really was the gift that was given to young housewives when they were married. And... Because she actually lived, I think we can trace her to was probably 1917, 1918, and then she just disappears from sight. Uh, but by then she was pretty old, so the uh, the chances of an old woman surviving the revolution, civil war, are uh, negligible. And um, but so she could actually keep control. If you compare her with Mrs. Beaton, who died young and who's fiscally rather irresponsible husband lost control of the whole Mm -hmm. thing but so this so she expanded the book um the i don't know the 20th edition for instance is considerably bigger than the first edition more recipes although some of them are just variants on the old ones and um and they they were it was immensely popular i mean the last edition that actually passed the censor in I think nineteen sixteen, um, certainly published in nineteen seventeen, was the the thirtieth. So you, that you can see how many had come out, and so was it distributed all around Russia. It was in bookshops. People subscribed to it. Um, obviously, not everywhere in Russia you would get a bookshop, but you know the bigger towns would have bookshops. I mean, Russia was considered a more advanced country than Bolshevik historians made out later on, and uh, it uh, it was. She also wrote some other things, so these um, about... Well, partly about herbal medication, but partly sort of um, uh, religious and nationalist propaganda for the war. And those had to be bought directly from her. She gave her, gives her address it's in St. Petersburg where you can buy it. But the book itself, uh, for, which is her big achievement was uh, could be acquired anywhere in russia and and was. and um interestingly enough, from the copies that have surfaced in the West, it is quite clear that as people fled from Russia during the Revolution of the Civil War, they took it with them as their sort of one of their treasured possessions. Not only Arthur Ransom it's not quite clear where he acquired it, but um you know the British Library, for instance, has a copy that is carefully labelled by a chap who lived in well. Oh, a lady, it's his it's, it's heart Um in Lower Addison Gardens in West London, and um, it's, you know, these things surfaced, people took them with them, this was a treasured family possession, and as I say, um, some generations down, people could still remember uh, the book that... From their family. From their family, even if the book had long ago disappeared and nobody really knew what was in it, but it was a kind of symbol... And things did get, especially for food, did get pretty bad in the Soviet Union. And Even when there wasn't famine, it was uh, there was very, there were shortages and the food was very dull and uh, it was just a nightmare trying to cook. And and so, in Malahovets's book, became a kind of a symbol of the times when food was plentiful and there was choice, and you didn't just queue up for and hours and hours to get some mince. Well, to get some meat that you then took home to mince or whatever, um, and so so there was this. Um, was it a nostalgic? Image. Well, it was partly nostalgic and partly a reaction to what was happening around the reality. Around the reality, and um, her book wasn't reprinted in the Soviet Union until the very end. But in the nine, um, I'm sorry, in the eighties, um, there were. A few bits and there were a couple of little books published of a few recipes. Uh, of, um, of 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 book. Do you
1: think the book actually survived in Russia itself? Then, during after in the Soviet it period, have... people just put them very you know, in the back of their shelves, and it
2: must have done uh, because as soon as the Soviet system
1: fell, it started being reprinted. Now, I must ask you to explain a little bit about what happened as as Bolshevism drew near and the revolution approached. What happened as far as Malachowicz was concerned? There. Well. Um, it is hard to tell. I mean, um, she fell out of favor. well, she did fall out of favor.
2: I mean first of all, she presumably died in about 1918 as I say she was she was born in 1831 so she actually was fairly old. We do have some record uh, of her being listed in, in, in by this time Petrograd um, about the inhabitants of Petrograd in 1916. so she was still alive then, which is pretty astonishing. Um, but as a you know, during the war and the revolution. Now, after the revolution and civil war, there was there were such shortages of food that nobody could possibly think of cooking from olives anyway. But sh- she was actually castigated by the Bolsheviks, and indeed, some of the more um, tamer writers and even poets would write really quite unpleasant things. Because she was perceived as bourgeois? She was perceived as the bourgeois, she was perceived as the woman who glorified good life for just very few people, which of course is the exact opposite of what she was, because she was actually producing recipes for for the ever-growing middle class and for everyone, and if you go through it. Uh, and I think Mrs Beaton had the same problem, people always think of her as just writing for the very rich, which actually isn't true. And if you go, she always, she has, Mother Habits, has uh, dinners for every day of the year, and this is meat days and fasting days, which is very important for Russia, because the Russian Orthodox calendar has so many fast days, that of four different variety, um, the more expensive, the less expensive, and so on and so forth, and she gives prices for things, and she also gives um, menus for servants, which are um, let's go. So, so really, it is there? But as far as the Bolsheviks were concerned, this was it. This was the um, the epitome <clears throat> of everything that was wrong. Um, the the oppression uh, of the thing, and and of course, what they had to. Content with is that people's own memories were rather different. Yes. That they remembered it rather the time when almost a lot of people, a far wider proportion of the
1: people, could actually have very nice and yes. um, uh, varied food. So she's resurfaced again a little bit in the 80s and and just finally ha- can I ask you how she where where we stand with her today uh, now you've been doing this work about her, her but in Russia um are her books being, republic- they is her are. Book being they republished are they are. I saw People? one
2: quite recently in the Russian bookshop in Waterstone. Is there the
1: same craze about food g- developing well, in Russia had, that they've we God
2: I mean the thing in the Soviet period you basically had one cookery book uh, which was uh, published in the 50s with with a quotation from Stalin. Um, it was the early 50s. Uh, the quotation was subsequently taken out, and uh, which was all right, and in fact strangely similar to uh, the ideas that Malawi was prop- propounding. But now there are lots and lots of cookery books in Russia. Many of them are actually just going back to the argument of whether it should be Russian food or, or foreign food, I noticed Russian cookery books published there are of Italian food and of French food, Provençal food, whatever. But there's also um, a kind of upsurge of interest in Russian food. Sometimes it produces some very strange results, but but that's that's inevitable. And certainly Malahavis has been republished several times. It's been shorn of various things. I mean, it's obviously been shorn of... um, prices of goods I mean that's that would be preposterous of also of the ideas of how to give how to um, uh, furnish kitchens and apartments all that's gone so you really and and some of the recipes are, have gone because they are just uh, variants
1: were they like Mrs Beaton's very time-consuming and requiring fiddly
2: some some have mm-hmm. some have um, but the basic, even the most recent edition I saw in um, in a bookshop, and I was with someone who said, who said to me, "Look what you've started." <laughs> and I said, "Well, no, it. <laughs> um and uh, which actually doesn't explain who she is. Previous editions of her books explained, you know, this is it, and this we are now learning from our grandmothers because in a Soviet period we didn't know how to cook, but now we are once again looking to our grandmothers. To be honest, it's great-great-grandmothers by now. Yes. Um, as to how to cook and what a good idea it is and so on. But this latest edition, although it has several, quite a long chunk from her introduction, and it's got her recipes doesn't actually explain who she is doesn't give any
1: idea no this context
2: is just, no context this is just a cookery book by Yelena Malahuez. Uh we don't know but it was, it was reprinted again this year in Russia and it just carries on and there are various there is at one point there was a restaurant open that was supposed to be producing her food well I never found out um, there are certainly blogs that mention her. So she's she's become a big person. But quite often when you read these things, it's obvious they don't exactly know much. It's just, once again, she's the kind of the symbol. The symbol. The good life that we are now going to have because the Soviet period is over. And despite the difficulties, we are going to go back and have that.
1: Well, if anybody is does want to know any more about it, uh Helena Milokovic, they can do no better than to read your article that you've written for us that's coming out in our December issue. Helen Samueli, thank you very much. Thank you.
0: That's all for this week. You can read Helen Samueli's piece, The Russian Mrs Beaton, in the December issue of History Today, which is out now. Also in this issue... Adam Rovner on an early 20th century attempt to create a Jewish homeland in Angola, Julie Peekman on the 18th century appetite for erotic fiction, Jonathan Hughes on the reign of Richard II, and Gillian Tyndall on new discoveries about Charles Dickens's London. You can also get History Today onto your iPad, Kindle Fire or Android tablet by visiting www.historytoday.com forward slash app. Finally, you can listen to previous podcasts, or comment on anything you've heard by visiting www.historytoday.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.